ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Hi, Greg. How are you doing? Excellent. How are you doing, Leonard? Good. Thanks for coming and visiting with us today. Um, how's everything going with the COVID stuff? Ah. Uh, I just uh, rush it away and, you know, call it what it is. Exactly. You just deal with it and move on, right? Exactly. That's what, that's what we're doing. It's just, yeah. we haven't had, we haven't missed a day of work. Me neither. And it just, we just keep going and, yeah. and going and going. Yeah. But uh, I want to welcome you here to ATV Talk today. We got Greg Rowe, um, pretty much a legendary desert racer. He's been around for years and years. He's still racing today in UTVs. So, um, Greg. How did all this begin? Uh, actually began probably in the 70s when uh, a neighbor moved away from our neighborhood and moved over by uh, San Vicente Reservoir and bought a couple little uh, uh, 93-wheelers. And uh, we were forbidden to ride any motorized vehicles. So uh, um, we started doing farm work and that justified us riding these three wheelers. We're towing hay bales around and we're doing that kind of stuff. And of course that's only going to last for a few hours. So once we were done with that, we made a little berm track down in the sand pits and that was our summer vacation area. We went over there and worked on the farm and then drove three wheelers up until my dad found out and whooped our butts. And we never touched them again for probably for me, probably another 10 years, but I was hooked once I just one summer riding ATC nineties down in the sand pits that's all it took for me. And that was way back. That was way back. That was when the nineties first came out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so then in, in high school, I got into basketball and sports and trying to get into shape and you know, that kind of thing. And, and it actually transcended and helped me out with eventually getting into the racing because it's not always how fast you can go. It's how long can you go that fast? So for me, I was always the energizer bunny. I wasn't the fastest guy out there, but you know, once you go for a couple hours and you start petering out, I'm just getting warmed up. So that is that why you shine so well in the desert? Because I, the longer it was, the better it was. I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess it probably was. I had the from the basketball experience and the running and the endurance and the and that kind of thing. It just uh, I would never be the fastest one right out of the box. But, you know, as soon as the race started to wear on and attrition started to happen and everybody's wearing down. I didn't seem to wear down as, as quick as these guys did. And, you know, it showed. Um, if we could, if we could go backwards a little bit and touch on something that I'm vaguely aware of your basketball career in high school, but you were more than just a good basketball player. Well, I, I, my goal when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. So I lived it. I had a basketball under my arm for 15 years. And uh, got to the point where we won our, you know, gross amount league and, and that kind of thing. Had opportunities to take scholarships. But back in that day and age, I was too afraid to get out from underneath parents' wing and, you know, try to go do it on my own, living in Utah or, you know, or one of these colleges that were going to give me the opportunity. So I just got into construction. And next thing I bought once I got out was a three-wheeler, 1986 250R. And uh, all my buddies had them. They weren't into racing. So we would just go to the dunes, riding the dunes. Well, one day we were coming back on a Sunday afternoon and we saw a desert race. So me and my buddy, Scott Prather, Danny Prather's dad, 
pull over. Let's go check this out. And we get a, a schedule of events and there's a race coming up the following weekend. It was called the uh, wild wizard enduro. <laughs> yeah. And it was, a uh, it was two loops. And of course in enduros, you have to average a certain speed and that's how you want to zero out at all the checkpoints. So the first loop was like a 20 mile an hour average. And I didn't really realize what that was at the time, but we could have done that in our sleep. You know, we were always right on time. It was no problem doing that loop. And the next loop was like a 45 mile an hour average, which is now a desert race. And you're not going to average 45 miles an hour on a three wheeler around this. So you're always trying to catch up. So now you're racing, you're going as hard as you can to the next checkpoint, to the next checkpoint. And I, uh, Scott and I were on the same line and we stayed together for pretty much majority of both of the loops. And then I crashed and I told him, just keep going. I'll get up. And, and, uh, by the time I got to the finish, everybody's jumping up and down. I had just won. And I'm like, how did I win? Where's Scott at? And we look up on the hill and there's Scott up here doing circles up on top of the hill, trying to figure out where the course was. He finally figured it out and come down here getting second, but kind of ironic. I really, I really think this would be a good group to get together. You, Scott Prather, and Alan Fox. Oh, for I would sure. Love to sit down with you guys. Oh, yeah. And have a conversation about oh, yeah. some things. That well, all these guys that, I mean, back in the day when I first started racing, it was Dean Sundahl, Marty Hart, um, Craig Corda, Greg Bringle, Ray Schooley, all the factory Yamaha guys, John Herder in Arizona, Ben Schlemme, Lance Shoemaker. Um, I mean, Roll Brothers, the list, the, the lineup on that line was insane to see when, when you start a King of the Desert race and you'd have dead engine start with, you know, 40, 50 experts on the line and 25 of them that could win the race. You know, it was insane. Yeah, insane. That, that we miss that nowadays. Oh, yeah. When there's yeah. five guys there and there's only two of them that could really win the race. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. Exactly. That's, that's incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, so after you decided not to go to basketball, you went into construction and then you by chance found that race. And I'm assuming after that, Greg Rowe was hooked and, and on his way. Well, I didn't realize it at the time. I was just doing local District 38 races. But the guys that are winning Baja 1000 at that time, Lance Schoemaker, he's leading the three-wheeler points. Steve Fenton, he's Lance's partner, taking second place in the points. And I can't remember who was third, but I think I was in fourth place. And that's when Dusty Burwell, and this is a huge lineup of three-wheelers, Dusty Burwell, who was racing all these races, didn't have a good solid partner, I guess, and came to me and asked me if I wanted to race. And so the first race we did was the 87 Baja 500. And we led for probably 450 miles until I crashed, blew a turn, bent the forks pretty good. And uh, we still finished the race, got third. But then the next race was Baja 1000. And like I said, we didn't win because we were the fastest. We just won because we outlasted everybody and just were the Energizer Bunny. We just kept going, kept going. And, and we won Baja 1087. And after that, uh, that was what hooked me. Is win the Baja 1000. I mean, I was, and of all the, you know, I've probably done 30 Baja 1000s now. And that was the craziest Baja 1000 of any of these Baja 1000s. It rained for two weeks before that Baja 1000. And it wasn't a matter of racing. It was a matter of just making it, getting through some of these water crossings, getting through some of these. They're not even silt beds anymore. They're mud holes and you're trying to get around them and through them. And 
while you're racing. You know, it's just. Do you remember how long it took you to get to the finish line on that race? Yeah, it was, it was only a 682 mile race and it took us like 23 hours. Wow. That's a total space. With two people, me and Dusty. That just kills you. (laughs) Yeah. What was your longest stint? Do you remember? Um, My longest stint was I rode from Mike Sky Ranch over to the coast, all the way up the coast to Santa Tomas, and then was bringing it back over to Dusty and Ojos on a three-wheeler and this stuff. And I'm averaging like 20-something miles an hour. I mean, the conditions are just brutal. And then I have the bike foul plug 15 miles from Ojos Negros. And I'm dejected. We're winning the race and I'm done. I can't even, I, I tried to take off the spark plug with the stock onto wrench. You remember how pop metal that thing was? I just bent it into a U. I'm like, we're done. I can't even get the spark plug off. And it's like two o'clock in the morning, got a full moon. I wrap myself up in my space blanket. You know, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Oh, what a bummer. And I kind of look off in the distance and I see a bright light. And I'm like, that's got to be a pit. And I'm like, ain't that far. I'm going to walk over there and see it's over there. And sure enough, it's a Kawasaki pit. And these guys give me wrenches and all kinds of stuff. And then the wrench that they give me is like an 11 16 or whatever size it is. It's just a little bit bigger than the spark plug size. I think I'm going to get it off. And now I got some some leverage on it and I just strip it. It just, you know, the box in the wrench just strips. <laughs> oh, made it even worse. Made it even worse. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So then I wrap back up in the blanket and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? This was, it was kind of downhill all the way there and it kind of flattened out. It wasn't that far. So I start pushing the bike there. Well, I had so much rain gear on. I'm just, I'm throwing everything off. By the time I get there, I'm half naked and I'm dead from pushing this bike, you know, a mile and a half or something through some sand and little hills. And when I get to the pit, I can remember this like it was yesterday. These guys are passed out in the back of the van. There's one little light on. And I come in and I'm asking for help. And these guys jump up like I'm Larry Ross when I'm first overall. They fire the generator up. What do you need? What do you need? And they're all over it. They crack the, they get a breaker bar basically and crack the spark plug off. I had a nine in it. And all they had was sevens or elevens. And he's asked me, what should I put in? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not a motor guy. I don't know. I said, all I know is it foul. He's all, well, seven's hotter and 11's colder. I'm all, well, it sounds like you got to go hotter. Let's put the seven in it. So I put the seven in it. And this thing just ripped all the way into us. And I get oh, to us. Like you didn't burn a hole in it. <laughs> all right. Right. But yeah, better be lucky. But the filter good. was probably. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was probably up enough. Warning. It exactly. probably didn't hurt it at all. Yeah, Probably. I pull into Ojos, everybody's passed out. I'm beating on the sides of the cars to wake him up. And Dusty's just thinking we're in a dream world, you know, and he gets on and we made it to the finish. And that bike barely made it to the finish. We had brake rotors falling off. We had all kinds of stuff, but pulled it off, you know. And then uh, and then it was on after that. Dusty's Dusty's dad just loved the racing. How I love that guy. How long did it take for you guys to switch to the four-wheelers? Uh, the next year, 88. Because they, big, they banned them in 87. 87 was the last year of racing three-wheelers for did score. They, did they um, – did you have any trouble transitioning? No, no. I love the three-wheelers, and I thought I was always a three-wheeler guy. But then as soon as I bought a 1988, you know, four-tracks, it was it was on. And then one of my good buddies, Cliff Matlock, had a Doug Roll first, you know, first-made C&J quad that he was selling. So I sold my 88 and I bought that and that was the best thing I ever did. That was like buying wins. I mean, that bike was so far ahead of its time. It was insane. Doug's a pretty smart dude. Huh? Yeah. 
Yeah. And then uh, 92, he built me his first DRD&D bike that was, we won the championship that year too. It was just unstoppable. It's like a trophy truck against a stock car, you know, so. Yeah, they, nobody even realizes no. that guy's skill level. <laughs> I mean, he, he shouldn't yeah. be doing ATV stuff. Yeah. He should be yeah. doing yeah. F1. Exactly. Exactly. Like oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's incredible. Uh-huh. I uh-huh. mean, you ought to see the technology or the level of the technology in the shop, the evolution uh-huh. that we have now. I mean, it's changing constantly yeah. to the point where if you're not with him, like with him, you know, have a rider that's using yeah. his stuff. You can't keep up. No. You know, yeah. this year with me sitting out and not traveling, when I go back, it's going to probably be a learning curve oh, yeah. to get back. Yeah. So it's it's really yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. I can imagine what it was like because the shock technology back there, when you're talking about these days, it, it, thinking about it today, it's archaic stuff. Yeah. It didn't even work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. You guys went that fast. Oh yeah. With suspension that didn't work. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you get in, you, you talked about going to the, the first CNJ bike. Did you race the, the Baja stuff on that or just local? Uh, I did local. We did a lot of district 38 and district 37 stuff and uh, just getting confidence on it. And then we started, hitting all the score races, you know, we won the great Mojave 250, Baja 590, Baja 591, 92. And you had, you had a group of guys that worked with you. Yeah. Um, Who were they? Uh, My main mechanic was Tim Neidhart. He's the one that did a lot of my fabrication. He's the one that did a lot of the light bars and any welding on the frames, any of that kind of stuff, built the tanks. Timmy boy. Timmy boy. Oh, Timmy boy. Good dude, man. Yeah. Timmy's awesome. Um, and then uh you know when i was part of duncan racing in the late 80s it was you know the the motors were incredible when you can take a 250r motor line it up next to a banshee and hole shot that guy and hold him off top speed it's like it's insane you know to think that little you know single cylinder you're going wait a minute what's going on yeah exactly because that guy's playing with me right yeah exactly and, so, and, and it really was that fast. It was that fast. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was the most fun you could ever have. You know? <laughs> <That's> why, <laughs> yeah. So as you roll into the 90s, and we roll into the early 90s, what were your expectations? Um, well, I went through a divorce in the early 90s, so that kind of changed the direction of my program. I started riding with more people. That's when I started riding with Jimmy Knorr. And getting getting his bike dialed in and and all that kind of stuff and just and hitting the races and having a good time. It was Scott Prather and Jimmy Norm myself and we won a Baja five hundred and ninety seven and San Felipe two fifty won, won some races with Jimmy. So that was that was a real good time as well. Did you? So, did, how many score titles did you win in in total? I only won two score titles. Only two, but I've hey, only yeah. two is two man. Yeah, it's two, two more than a lot of guys. Yeah, no, I know only two, but you know I got five Baja five hundred wins and four Baja one thousand wins and. I don't know, six, I think, Sanford Bay 250 wins. And then, of course, the Baja 2000, which was the craziest race of all. Right, know, right. That was insane. And what a race that was. You ought to against, tell that story. Against Rolls and, you know, William Yokely and and then the back East boys, Gary Lee White. You know, it was that was an insane race. Wes Miller with his bomb squad team. And uh, 
And that, that was a race. That was a race that went all the way to the finish. And didn't the 400EX almost win the thing? Yeah. But it burned yeah. to the ground. Well, it didn't even burn to the ground. He just, he lost a rear carrier. And, and it was it. just dragging the thing. He's just dragging the ass end of the thing all the way there. And they didn't come with enough riders. They came with four riders to do 2,000 miles over two days and two nights. And, you know, stopping and breaking in this, in this race, you right. know, you're going for the whole time. One of their guys crashed, got hurt. Funniest story of that whole thing was uh, we're about 100 miles from the finish. There's three teams that are within five minutes of each other. It's Gary Lee White on the 400EX leading. It's uh, Eichner on the... Yamaha Raptor with Yokely and, and the Rolls that's second. And we're on the Bombardier DS650 running third. We'd already had lost a clutch, um, broke a pivot bolt, several other things. We, we came from three hours back to be within five minutes on the second night. And uh, I can remember Ricky Stater was always very much into the races with us. And we had sat phones. And we get to within 40 miles of getting into Cabo and we don't want to get there too early. We don't want to be just standing around, you know, just freaking out because, you know, we got a race going to the finish. We can't, we can't keep track of anything. So, um, you always pull the sat phone out. We stop. So we stop in this little town. All of a sudden the phone rings and we're like, that's the last thing you want to have happen is this freaking sat phone ring. And you're, right. like, you're thinking your guy on your bike's calling you. And, uh, you know, pick it up real cautiously. Oh my, who is it? Who is it? Ricky Stater, how are you guys doing? I'm like, Ricky, you're killing me right now. Two o'clock in the morning, we're going to the finish. You know, don't, don't jinx us right now. We're running second, third right now. He's like, okay, get on it, get on it, you know. And, and uh, But Gary Lee White was heading to the finish, and he is so probably sleep-deprived and, uh, and out of it that Dean caught him on the DS, and Ricky had built this light bar. It was a triple HIDs, and it was the first time a quad had ever run HID lights on it. And we only had one light left. The silencer was so blown out on this DS650. And you know how throaty and uh, yeah. loud that sounded like a truck. It sounded like a truck coming. Just screaming. Gary Lee White looks back. Oh, shit. Just dives out of the way. And Dean goes by him. <laughs> and then uh, Gary Lee White tells me that story at the finish. And I'm all, I'd have taken that to the grave. I'm all, I wouldn't have told anybody that. <laughs> He's all out of it. I'm all, okay, I understand. But man, I would have just kept that a secret if I was you, but it's all good. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, after winning that race for Bombardier is when it got really fun for a few years. That's when they Bombardier hired me to be like a traveling show and take a 30-foot enclosed trailer with stocked with quads in it all over Western United States doing demos and displays and, you know, dog and pony shows and that kind of thing. I mean, it was just... Some of the stuff that happened on those on those was insane. The funniest stuff you'd ever you could imagine. Well, dude, that's why we're here. Okay, so the first place I go is in Denver, and it's a Yamaha dealership that Bombardier is trying to get into. So I set the trailer up. I put all the vehicles out. All the all the guys come from the back, and they're uh, they're all in their Yamaha, you know, duds for the mechanics, and. You know, they kind of start talking smack about the Bombardier stuff, saying, oh, that, they're pretty cool. But And this is right when the, the Yamaha Grizzly came out, the 660 four-wheel drive Grizzly. And they said, oh, our, our Grizzly will walk all over your you know, Bombardier Traxster. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like a drag race or something? He's like, yeah, it'll smoke it. I'm all, okay, who, with a four-wheel drive, who cares about that? I want to see how strong yours is. He's like, okay, well, like what? I'm all, well, let's do a tractor pull. And I got my, this is my first big 
event. And I've got the, the um, United States manager there, Bob Lumley. And the manager for the store says, oh, we don't even have a Grizzly ready yet. And they got, you know, 500,000 people at their grand opening party and everything that's going on, hot dogs given away and all, you know, all, kinds of, all kinds of stuff going on. And then the manager says, you know what? Go prep one of those things. I want to show this Bombardier you guys what a real, what a real quad is. Okay, kind of everything kind of disperses for a few minutes. They're going to take a little bit of time to go over and prep one of their one of their Yamaha Grizzlies. Bob Lumley comes up to me and says, "Dude, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, do you want to put yourself on the map here? Do you want to show Bombardier how badass they are compared to the, you know one of the top ATV manufacturers?" All if we lose, this is not good. And I'm all, I would not do this if we're going to lose, Bob. That 500 cc four wheel drive ATV you have there is the baddest four wheel drive ATV on the market. It will tow a house. Okay. Yamaha Grizzly, it'll haul ass, but it won't tell a house. Okay. He says, okay, how do you want to do this? I said, let's do a tractor pull end to end. Let's see who is the baddest freaking quad out there. So who okay, can pull said, who? Yeah. Hook them up. So we hook them up end to end. The first guy that gets on for the Yamaha guy is a younger kid. Looks like he knows how to ride. And uh, we pull the tension out of it and, you know, we're lined up. We're both idling away and, I said, okay, hit it whenever you want to hit it. And the Yamaha guy nails the throttle. My my quad starts being towed backward a little bit. I hit the throttle and I start bouncing a little bit. He starts bouncing a little more. I notice my front tires start going from, from bouncing to biting. Like one tire, the right side starts spinning. Then the left tire starts spinning. Then the right tire starts spinning. And then I get hooked up and I start towing this guy backward at about 20 miles an hour. <laughs> He's yelling like a four-year-old girl, stop, stop. I'm like, okay, you know. And then one of the smarter mechanics says, hey, your quad outweighs this quad by 118 pounds. I'm all, yeah, it does. I'm all, I look up and I see one of their big boy, 350-pound freaking mechanics in his Yamaha shirt. I'm all, why don't you get Haas over there eating hot dogs? Come over here and hop on this thing and, you know. He's got to weigh 150 pounds more than I do. Okay, that'll work. So this time I let Haas tow me backward at about five miles an hour to where I'm just touching the front brakes and just dragging just to show that he's got momentum. As soon as I hit the throttle, that, that, that Yamaha stops. And then all of a sudden the front tires just start doing their thing. And I start pulling this guy. He sounded like a two-year-old girl. He was squealing like he just came out of the womb. Oh, it was hilarious. So then Bob Lumley sends toe straps to every one of his area managers and a description of what happened in, in Denver at this, and let's tow the competition all over the United States. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's yeah. so awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so you're kind of a legend in their office. Well, I, my, my race bike that won is still in their museum up in, in Quebec. So yeah, it's pretty badass. You know, I, you have any contact with them now? Uh, I, I talked to John Gale occasionally. He was the, he was the guy that was the go-to guy for the racing was always, you know, supportive of it. And I always loved it in the whole mind. I heard the funny story with John Gale. So they do these dealer shows and they call me, I'm like in Canada or I'm at, in Washington or something. Hey, you need to be down at this dealer show. And I just jump on a plane, fly over there and okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to ride your you know, the new Baja version DS650 up on stage, pull it up to the front. 
And then Jose Bojali, the president, and Bob Lumley are going to come up and they're going to kind of ask you some questions about, you know, your win and how you won the Baja 2000 and what you came up with and that kind of thing. Just have a, you know, little question and answer session. That's okay. Though the Bombardier guys do this almost like a Hollywood set. So the day before the dealers come in, we're doing a full take on stage so that they can see exactly how everything's going to come out, how it's going to play out, everything. So the first take, I'm in the back and got my gear on and they give me the signal and I ride the bike up on stage and I pull up and I stop and the Bob Lumley and, and Jose Bougely come over and we start talking and our conversation back and forth and it's done and it disperses and we always take a break when everything's done. So Don Gale sitting in the front row and he looks up at me and he's all, I thought you could ride. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, my four-year-old girl could have pulled the quad out on stage like that. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Light it up? You know, he's all, well, you know, I want to, you know, I want to see some little bit of action, you know? So I'm like, okay. And these guys party like rock stars. You know, when they're taking breaks, they're having little drinks and stuff. And they're just, you know, they, they live life. These guys, the French Canadians are, they're some good people. They're, they're awesome people. But so the next take, I'm like, okay, I'm going to rev it up a little bit and, like lunchtime and everybody's had a couple beers and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a little looser now. Let's do, okay, let's bring this thing up on stage. So there's a little ramp that comes up and then you got about 20 feet of stage. I got to make a left-hand turn and I got about 40 feet to come over to the middle of the stage. And then there's like two steps and a table and a couch, almost like a Jay Leno kind of setup, you know? And uh, so this time I, you know, I get my cue, I light it up a little bit more. I wheelie up a little bit, hit the brakes a little bit, slide it sideways a little bit, you know, just kind of... We do the whole take and John Gale stands up again and says, okay, he's all, all a little better. He's all, but my 14 year old could have done that. <laughs> I'm like, what do you want, dude? He's like, I want to see you come up. Like you're starting Baja 1000 and you're flying, you know, they drop the green flag and you're going. I want to see that. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. He's like, I want the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. Okay. So now we go Did to he dinner. Did the other two guys? No. <laughs> no, he's just talking to me. Like, come on, let's see something, dude. You're you're a pro ATV racer. Let's see. I want to see something. Okay. So now it's going to be the live take. They're going to have dry ice and the smoke hanging in front of the the drapes. They're going to open up in front before I hit this ramp. This time I'm on the rev limiter, and all of a sudden the music comes on. The drapes open up. I can't see a thing because it's dry ice, but I know what I got what I'm going through. I just drop the clutch second gear. And next thing I know, I'm in the air. I'm like two feet in the air and I'm landing about 15 feet into the platform. I got like five feet before I'm gonna go off the edge and into the it's only Bombardier people, it's not the dealers, but I got 15 people out there that are watching the take. So I'm on the brakes as hard as I can. I got to get back on the throttle hard just to get back over to where I got to go to the stage, lay it down, pull up into a wheelie, heading back towards the stairs, back on the binders as hard as I can. And I slide right up to the two steps, literally to where when I step off the bike, I'm standing on the two steps and these guys are literally like a handshake away from me. I look up at them. They're over the back of the couch. The, the announcer guys off the back of his couch. And I'm like, whoa, sorry. And I get up and all of a sudden John Gale stands up. That's what I'm talking about. I said, oh, you are too much, John. I'm like, that was that was a little too much right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should have warned these guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
But then another funny thing that happened was, and you guys will get a kick out of this being ATV and, and you knowing the magazines and everything. I'm sitting in some hotel in Bozeman, Montana, about 10 o'clock at night. Bob Lumley calls me, dude, we're in trouble. I'm all, what's up? He's all, Honda's coming out with a 900cc triple. And I'm like, and this is 2001. I'm like, dude, they got a 400EX right now. The next thing they're coming out with is a 450. There's no way they're coming out with a 900cc triple. So I'm sitting here looking at it right now. He's all, we're in trouble. And I'm all, Bob, there's, there's no way. I'm all, I know Honda. They're just getting done with three-wheeler lawsuits, and they just started making a quad. April edition. <laughs> exactly. I'm all, Bob, what issue is it? He's all, April? I'm all, well, there you go. And he's like, what? And I'm all, April fools. And he's like, no way. And I'm all, yeah, exactly. I'm all, Bob, look at this. The VP of a billion-dollar company is calling <laughs> your ATV specialist to find out you're being duped. <laughs> <laughs> insane that is too insane. funny oh yeah and then i kept showing bob i'm like bob we need to do the same thing i'm like why don't we take a quad and with your front four-wheel drive system which is the most insane system there is because of the speed sensing differential so when one tire travels five miles an hour faster than the other it progressively locks and as soon as they catch up it disengages so you don't even feel it it's an insane differential system it works incredible but I said, let's just put that front and rear with two motors, a gas tank in the middle and call it an Audi Quattro. Don't even build it. Just, just do it. Just draw it up. You know, oh, we can't do that. We can't misinform the public. I'm like, dude, you don't understand Americans. They live on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Oh, that would have been great. Oh, yeah. Same thing with the photo shoot we did. I kept giving him heck about, we can't lift the tires up on the photo shoots. We can't do this on the photo shoots. Two weeks later, the Suzuki commercial comes out in Glamis where freaking Gust and whoever it was shoot out of the Huey helicopter on, down into the dunes. Uh, yeah, totally Insane. lost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Polaris and, uh-huh. and uh, Can-Am both had restrictions uh-huh. on what they could do and what they couldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yamaha had some of that stuff too. Oh, yeah. You listen to Josh and you uh-huh. listen to Dustin yeah. tell stories that yeah. they couldn't do this and they couldn't yeah. do that. You're like, no. what's yeah. the deal? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't get to I didn't get, get to go on any of those kind of shoes. Yeah. But that, that's yeah. still kind of funny. Yeah. What uh what direction does your career go now? Um well I was had had it not been for Josh racing works and me having a knee injury when I, I broke my femur and then screwed the knee up. I probably never would have got into the side-by-sides, but, uh, my son Trevor was in baseball and he's about 10 years old and six foot two tall and wants to play baseball. I said, we got to get you into something in the cage, you know, if he wants to continue with baseball. So I bought this Yamaha Rhino and then we ended up started taking it to Josh's races and they got these little side-by-side races with the Yamaha Rhinos and 800 CC Polaris is back before the 900s and all the rest of stuff came out. So I, uh, shit, throw some numbers on it, go have some fun, you know, the next thing I know they have a, in 2012, they have a overall points championship for the side-by-sides. So I'm going to, I'm going to run the side-by-side class. So myself, David Lytle, and Kayla Smith were three of the of the Yamaha, you know, the lowest class that battled every race. And we took first, second, or third every race. And all three of us were the top three in points for overall points. 
So I won the overall points championship in there. And then I got hooked up from Polaris with a car for the following year and then one for the thousand. And that's just been a snowball since then. It's been a you know blast racing them. You so, so you really like the UTVs? I do. It's uh it's the riding a quad and and driving a UTV has a lot of crossover cross references on how you handle the terrain and you know, you're not using body weight anymore, but you know how to handle it with throttle response and, and, and steering the car and that kind of thing. So do you get the same fix in the car that you did on the quad? Uh, not as much because when you're on the back of a quad going through that stuff, it's you're paying, you're, you put a lot more on the line. Let's put it that way. than you are when you're in a cage and yeah, you could, get slammed around a little bit, but when you're on the back of a quad doing 85 miles an hour through the desert, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. No, no. Favorite day or night? Um, like Baja at night still scares the shit out of me. It's a totally different race. You know what I'm saying? Totally different race. Still love it, but, um, I'm more of the starter guy. I like, I like going in the mornings. I like being the first guy on and, uh, but either way, you know, like when FUD had the 24 hour world endurance races, I used to just love that because it was, it was learning your track and just staying on your track. So it's, you know, everybody's got whatever track they want to take, but it's not always the fastest way to go. So you make the fastest trail around the track and then just start laying laps down and, and do what best. you can do it. At, you know, when you're doing lap times, same night and day, you know, it's your movement. <laughs> I can tell you this because the evolution from riding on a 24 hour machine at 250R with the old school suspension that was soft and rolly compared to the desert machines that we build today, they're not even on the same planet. You know, I still have back aches from the riding a <laughs> desert machine that didn't want me to ride it uh, down there. Oh, yeah to testing the desert machines that race Baja and Best in the Desert. They're not even the same machines, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how far you came into the progression of the four strokes other than the DS. Well, in 2000, did you, get, 2000 did you get into the mid, 450s? Yeah, I was into the 450s in the mid-2000s, so 2004 through 2008, once I got done with Bombardier, and I went back to the 450s. I mean, actually, I think I'm the oldest one to win a District 38 championship. In 2008, I won the District 38 championship on a 450. I did not 40, know. How old was that? Then 44, I think 45. I think I was a couple years older than Cliff. So well, I think the championship <laughs> works in his 40s. Yeah. You know? Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah. I don't believe that age is near as crucial on a four-stroke as it is intelligence. Because you learn how to ride them, you learn how to make the machines work, and you don't always have to be the best, strongest guy because sometimes the best, strongest guy is making stupid mistakes. Yeah. You look at Bo Barron, 38 years old, running number one plate. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wienan back east, leading the points right now, I think. Yeah. Uh, And he's he's in his, got to be in his mid 30s. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. maybe a little older than that. Yeah. So uh, most of your current ATV guys that are super fast are, are above 30 32. Something. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. How, how old is Walker Fowler? Do you know? 
Mm, I don't know. He's he's no spring chicken because he's no. been around a few years. Yeah. You know, Chris. Well, it's just like Josh. Racing. Josh is thirty-one, and he's he goes out and does own desert races. I think he's probably right now in the world in the country the fastest desert racer there is. Yeah, he's. You know. He's kind of unstoppable in the desert. <laughs> I love. Did you see the video of Josh passing Adam McGill at the? I didn't ever got you to see, see that. <laughs> I only got to. Hear, the I only got to hear the story. The best part about it was that Adam talks about it in the video, but doesn't say who it is. He's like, you know, this is me passing some pikes and passing, and this is the first quad that goes by. <laughs> I remember when I was pulling out of the pit, out of the finish line, and they're looking up at the quad all big-eyed as we're driving out because their guy hadn't finished yet. Uh-huh. That's all. Oh, I yeah. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Josh also retired a guy that day. Yeah. You know, yeah. A, a, a champion. Yeah. He just said, you know, if I got to go that fast, I'm done. Yeah. And that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I knew your son was fast. And I knew he was talented, but I never got to work with him until late in his career. You know, he had experienced the works with the Honda and Yamaha. He had done, you know, a lot of four-stroke riding with other teams in, uh, you know, uh, Quad X and a bunch of other ITP series, Uh things like that. And, And... I knew I was getting a seasoned veteran, but I didn't know how good it was for my, for me, for yeah. me as a builder, you know, I gave him the bike and said, Hey, go check it out. Tell me out. You know, he comes yeah. back with a short little list. Hey, fix these, fix this. And we're good to go. Yeah. You know, and we go to the race and you know, you've seen the results when he was on the team, <laughs> yeah. you know, flawless. Yeah. We never got beat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, I enjoy him. You know, I thought he was a punk when he was young. <laughs> and as he's got older, he's, he's still that way. But yeah, he's funny. At, at least he's a funny guy. He's yeah. a lot like you. Yeah. You guys are a lot alike. Oh, yeah. Like father, like son. If you think about it and you go back in time, would you want to race him? Would you want to race against We've him? talked about that forever. Like the 24-hour world endurance race. He's all, he's all. Uh, would you, but I could, if you're I could, best and his best, would you want to go against that? Oh, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be a blast. I would love to do that. No fear. No fear, not at all. Just like just like we were race, just like I'd be racing, you know, Sundahl or Alan Fox or Marty Hart or John Herter or any of these guys that are just, you know. I love that because, yeah. you know, if you go back and you start looking at guy, Danny Prather. Yeah. Dude, look how fast he is. Doug yeah. Agner, how fast he was. Yeah. Sundahl, how fast he was. Yeah. And, you got to experience, you got to ride against Doug a little bit. Oh, yeah. A lot. You got to ride against Brian Fuller. Oh, yeah. He won a championship yeah. at a district there. Yeah. So you've not only been a champion, but you've raced against some of a the greats. Of oh, a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Marty Hart. A yeah. lot of them. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Did Marty spend much time down at District 38? He would just show up for the King, you know, 88, 89. I don't think he ever won it, did he? No, he broke every time. <laughs> Oh, he broke every time. Well, he was hauling ass, but he broke. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, I remember uh, we were down there for the King one day on our way to a works race, and something happened to Doug's bike, and he was half a lap behind my nephew, Alan. And I told him, you can catch him, Doug. You can catch him. And Doug rode way over his head. 
I actually hurt his back, yeah. you know, and he was pissed at me for a couple of days after that. <laughs> what do you mean I could catch him? I should have loaded him in the truck. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, I have enjoyed knowing you for all these years and watching the progression. Uh, because like I tell everybody, I'm a huge fan. I love ATV racing. Oh, yeah. it, we could go down on the lower property and race seventies. And I would just be <laughs> digging it. Even if I was racing, I'd still oh, yeah. be loving life. Oh yeah. So your, your ending of your career was roughly around 2008. No, it was more like uh, a prior sign from God in 2012. I was supposed to race the side by side and or 2011, 2012, one of those two years I was supposed to race a side by side. It didn't get completed. So I brought out the DS650 and a week before the race, I was testing it and the motor blew up. So I'm like, okay, the side-by-side didn't get completed. The bike I had, you know, set in the back that was ready to go blows up. I'm like, I think that's a sign. So that was, that was the first year I missed a Baja 1000 in like 27 years. So from 87 all the way until I think it was 2012. I raced every Baja 1000. <laughs> uh, how are you with that? I'm fine. It was a blast. You know? Well, uh, also in your career, you've had some pretty horrific injuries. Uh, it took me a long time. You know, I was 41 when I had the first one on the DS, and that was in 2004. And I broke my right femur in like a lot of pieces. So uh, that should have been my calling right there to stop and not ride ATVs anymore. But I kept riding them for another, you know, 10 years probably. Well, and then the side-by-side came. You know, I still ride too. I just don't race. Yeah, exactly. I, and I don't ride for recreational. I ride to test. Yeah. You know, so it's a different, yeah. it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. Um, I think if I was out there racing, I'd probably have more, more issues. But yeah, but now I got a, uh, a call from some guy that uh, is putting back together a Baja 1000 bike that, a, a banshee and wants me to come back out of, out of retirement and go race by 1000 with it. So I'm throwing that around. My, we'll see. You know, I, I, as your friend, if you do do it, go ride, don't race. Yeah, exactly. Because, oh well, yeah, you know, yeah, I know your skills, you're probably still faster than most. Yeah. And you still are a seasoned veteran and you can pick your way through probably yeah. better than most of those guys. But yeah, I just cruise. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got nothing to prove. Your no. legacy's already fixed. You're, yeah. You're already Not a great brain. champion. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a legend in the off road industry and that, and that thing. So you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Appreciate that. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> there, there, there's so many greats that, that we can go back and talk about, you know, and, and if we go back and reach into your past a little bit, who was your fiercest competitor? And who was the guy that just put the burr under your saddle? Um, I got along with everybody. I thought, you know, it was just the one that I always wanted to beat, of course, was Sundahl, you know, probably the greatest ATV racer of all time. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, the, the guys, you know, wish he could have picked some different avenues in his life and, but um, the guy won everything. You know what I'm saying? And every every time I was at a race, that was my goal to beat Dean Sundahl. So it's a totally different era mm-hmm. of people that race ATVs. Yeah, 
you know, because that takes it back to almost the beginning to the 185S because he probably raced a 185S. Well, like I said, when I started, it was 250Rs. So he had 250Rs and then 87 and 88 when the Banshees came out and that's when he went into the Banshees. So I'm, I'm racing three wheelers against him on Banshees, you know, but I still want to beat him. You know what I'm saying? Even if I'm on a three wheeler, I want to beat him. Until the four wheelers totally did away with the three wheelers, there were a lot of guys that were competitive on a three wheeler against a four wheeler. Look at Alan Fox, you know, 1987 um, King of the Desert on that tarantula three wheeler he built. He beat Doug Roll on a Roll Design 250R bike and Dean on a Banshee on a three wheeler. Hey. Yeah. It it probably is not going to happen ever again. No. No. Because you're not going to get a guy with that much skill. Yeah, nothing like Alan Fox. And, yeah. and Alan downplays himself so much. Oh, yeah. He was he was a pretty fierce competitor. Too. Oh yes, he was. Pretty smart guy. Too. Yes, he was. He still is. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't, yeah. Take, you can't, can't take anything away from no. him. No. No. I like no. I said, I really want to get you guys together. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm sure the stories that you guys could tell. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it'd be a pretty, pretty nice deal. For well, I pretty much raced with all these guys as well. I raced against them. I've raced with Dean. You know, Dean was on the Baja 2000 team. Yeah. I raced with Doug, you know, and the, and Doug and Mike in the Baja 1000s and, and the score races, that kind of stuff. Um, you raced against Cliff Matlock too, didn't you? And raced with him. Yeah. Did you raced. race against Wayne? Wayne? Wayne actually started with me rather than against me. He... um the one San Felipe 250 we won in 98, that was, was Wayne's first win. And then when we started the Bombardier thing, I needed two riders. So it was, I got Wayne and Danny. And they were the first, um, they were the first two guys sponsored with Bombardier. And they raced all the best in the desert in the score races. So I did not know that. Yeah. That's a little bit of history yeah. there. Yeah. Wow. So they raced for like two years and then. Mike Caffro sold Danny and then Wayne went to Suzuki with Chad Prohl. Wow. That's, yeah. you know, cause when I got to race, uh, best in the desert in 2002 and 2003, uh, yeah, I believe it was 2002 and three, mm-hmm. uh, on a Raptor, on a Raptor mm-hmm. Wayne was riding that Suzuki. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was, it was so unfair. I mean, granted Alan and I weren't caliber, the caliber of, of Doug and, and I believe it was Mark Spath at the time. Mm-hmm. And I forget who of the other teams were that were super fat. Jimmy Watt, Stewart, Jimmy Stevenson, Greg Stewart, and Greg Jimmy Stewart. Stewart, Stewart Eric Delaney. After that, you know, Stewart. right. Yeah. He was a little more like Jimmy 2004, Stevenson 2005. And, and I, Jimmy. The guys. Yeah. And Alan and I shouldn't have competed with him in Vegas Torino. You guys were right there. And that 660 would just drive away from that. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, it was so fast. Yeah. You know, we just weren't skilled enough to use all of the power. Yeah. You know, well, maybe Alan was, but I wasn't. Yeah. You, know, I was just, you guys oh, did fine. You guys were staying right there. I was holding on with both hands going, oh, my God. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, yeah. Nick yeah. Grunland and oh, yeah. all those guys. Yeah. He's, he still wants to be fast, even though you know he had to go to a cage as well. Uh-huh. And, and his tra- he transitioned over over pretty good. Oh yeah, me and uh, me and Nick battled quite a bit up at these little motocross tracks, like the 
the ones I got up in Orange County and stuff and Milestone and, and these ones that have these little, you know, 900cc UTV races and being just, uh, yeah, banging doors. Uh, he's not afraid to bang. No, not at all. one of the guys that, oh, yeah. you know, if, if, if we're going to bang tires out, yeah, go right ahead, Nick. You, just yeah. go, you go right ahead. I'm oh, not yeah. going to do that. Uh-huh. Because he always seemed to come out on top. <laughs> uh, how is this? Yeah. Uh, and then he gets out of the car and he's a giant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, now he's going to kill me and, yeah, uh, and he right. just embarrasses me on the track. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's so much history in our sport. Yeah. And we get to go back and talk about all these things that we got to go do. You know, you've been all over the world doing it. I've been all over the yeah. world doing it. Yeah. And it's amazing how little our paths crossed doing what we do. I know. You know, I mean, we did a little bit at works. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think we ever crossed paths in, in Baja because yeah. I didn't start, I didn't start working down there till 2007. I was down there the whole time still. I was still doing every race 2007 to 2013. But you were, must have been in a UTV. No, I was on a quad. 2007, I took Josh and Josh and Travis Dillon down. Okay. 2008. Oh, and you were in class 25 and I was racing class yeah. 24. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was uh, 2008. I had a couple guys back east that was their dream to do Baja 1000. So I brought them out and did a Bombardier DS 650 team. and. Had them it, race. It, it's still amazing to me. We're in the same town to race the same race. You don't even run across each other. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Down yeah. In, in Sonata down there and then never, yeah. run, never even cross paths. Oh, yeah. And uh, going to La Paz and Cabo. Yeah. And still not seeing any, any I know. racers. Yeah. I remember being down in Cabo and we have trucks torn apart because yeah. one of the one of the chase vehicles hit a cow yeah. and tore the front end apart and we're trying to f- get it fixed so that it can be driven back home and you know my deal was hey I'm getting a plane flight home and somehow I ended up in that suburban broken driving it to San Diego oh, yeah and I'm thinking how did this happen <laughs> you know I was supposed to get a freaking airline ticket yeah. you know oh, yeah. uh, but Things like that, there. Those memories are priceless. They are. They you are. can't. Uh, you yeah. you can't really tell everybody everything that you've got to do, yeah. and that that brings me to the, this. The reason why this is here is because there's so many people that know you that don't know all those stories. Yeah, and don't know all the things that they that you've done, and gosh, they would love to know more. Yeah, you know so. I don't want you to hold back. If you have a story that you think is relevant to anything, tell it because your fans all over the world are going to hear this and enjoy a little bit of Greg Rowe in their life. Yeah. And then because they got to watch you race <laughs> or they heard yeah. of you and they seen you in a magazine. Yeah. And, and, and when I say all over the world, we're in 14 countries as of taping today. I'm hoping that by the time your episode airs, we're even more. And we're also doing us, we're going to release a Spanish episode. Nice. So, and that's going to help the guys down in Baja and yeah. some of our listeners in other countries. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so it, where do you see the ATV industry going from here? Uh, it's sad, <laughs> really. I mean, uh, <clears throat> 
looks like it's all four wheel drive, you know, I mean, that's where it's going. That's where it's always been really the four wheel drive market for ATVs, more farm equipment. But as far as the racing goes, I, I'm still stoked to see it going on back East, you know, you know, all the big names are still going for it. Works racing's kind of died down compared to what it was. That used to be, you know, when Josh first started, it was huge. You know, you'd have a full line of pros and a full line of, of amateurs. So they had 14 on one gate this year so far. Really? In and the pro class? Yep. Nice. Nice. So, I mean, it's uh, hopefully it'll come back. Hopefully more people, you know, will, will want it. So that's what it comes down to is just, you know, how they're brought up and, and if they have the opportunity to to chase after it. So if if I had to be fair in saying this, you raced ATVs for the love of the sport, oh, not yeah. the paycheck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I fell in love with it when I was 10 years old on a, on a 90. There's nothing I'd rather do than 80 miles an hour through the desert for, you know, till the gas tank runs out, you know, just. I, I feel you I feel you there. Cause it's, yeah. you can talk about some of the, the, the sweetest memories I have is, you know, I'm just, I'm by myself as fast as that machine would go. Mm-hmm. And all you can hear is the exhaust note and the little whistling in your ear mm-hmm. of the air going by. Exactly. I'm the sound of you talking to God. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) You're definitely doing that. Oh, yeah. Because running the edges. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. Any given second. Yeah. You know, you could end up, well, as bad as I, as many times as I crashed, it it was a normal thing. (laughs) (sighs) I, I, I didn't crash a lot of best in the desert, thank goodness, but I had a couple. Yeah. I had a couple that, you know, I still feel today. Oh yeah. District 38 got me. I was never, I never did real good at district 38. Yeah. I didn't have a whole lot of fun every time I raced down there. Usually I had my share down there too. It's, it's a gnarly desert. You know, it's, it's like San Felipe, gnarliest desert in the world. Oh, they got some edges down there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's why we're talking about it. That's one of the things that one of your sons, Achilles heels is the Baja 250. Mm-hmm. He says he's never won it. Yeah, and yeah. that's just crazy. Yeah, as many races as he's yeah. won, and all the. It's crazy to think, though, out of all these years, that Josh almost overall the score race. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't yes. know if he told you that. He probably did not, um, but I have heard that Imperial Valley two fifty. He beat every motorcycle. One trophy truck beat him. And the trophy truck that beat him almost didn't finish because they started on fire. And they, while the guys are sitting in the truck and fueling, they put the fire out. The guys never got out of the truck and they kept going. I think it was Vitasolo. And Vitasolo overall it. And Josh took second overall. Uh, no bikes beat him. And one vehicle. That was it. That's why he has such a burning desire to be, to overall something on a quad. Oh, yeah. Because he's almost overall the District 38 uh-huh. down there, yeah. beating the, the being on the quad. Oh uh, yeah, gotten second. Uh, you know? yeah. So it'll happen at some point. Probably. Some point. <laughs> I think the quad, the technology's getting better. Yeah. Our engines are better. The suspension's yeah. better. Yeah. Um, oh, so so much far superior to what you guys had yeah. back in the 90s. Uh, yeah. I mean. I, I still can't believe you rode that. I know. Because <laughs> I remember think back on it. I mean, my God, the thing, 
it, it's like driving a sailboat. It's just right back and forth. Uh-huh. You know, you're swaying back and forth. Uh-huh. You you hit a bump and it, you feel it all the way to the top of your head. Yeah. I mean, how do you ride this thing? Yeah. I mean, it, unbelievable, dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. Because yeah. uh, we did some, I rode some of Mike Douthat's bikes, you know. Uh, they, they weren't that much different than everybody else. They might have been a little softer because yeah. you liked them that way. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Today, the, the stuff is um, is pretty phenomenal. We were doing some shock testing. Or Josh actually did some shock testing. And I got to ride the machine afterwards. And I was running over the curves at the shop. And I called him on the phone and I go, is this for real? And he goes, yes, it is. Because he knew exactly what I was asking him about. Yeah. You know? And, and he goes, it is for real. Can, can you believe that? And I go, no, I can't believe that. Yeah. Because Sucks you, right up. you ride a quad, you hit a, you hit a, a square concrete edge. edge at five miles an hour. It knocks you cr- across yeah. the, the quad. The front wheel just, you never even felt it. You didn't even feel it in your hands. Yeah. The tire, it just soaked it up. Uh-huh. So I'm asking him, hey, what's it like at speed? And he goes, we're cheating. It's so good. Yeah. Because nobody has anything that good. They uh-uh. can't go that fast. Uh-uh. There's no way. Uh-uh. And and then when you know the desert that well, then <laughs> oh, just stuff. Yeah, incredible stuff. Oh yeah. So Greg, we we've had a good conversation. We've bounced around a lot. Um, are you going to continue racing UTVs? Oh yeah, I'm having fun with it. That's basically, you know, the most important thing is still have that passion to go out and chase people down have a good race and you know i know you've got the race with josh is that a lot of fun that's been a blast oh yeah we've i think the funniest thing about the the atv racing back when josh was just getting fast in 07 08 when i told you i i won the district 38 championship in 08 josh and i would do the team races and he would he would have me start so that he could have some people to pass, you know, and every time we team race, I'd give him the bike in the lead. And he's like, I'm just going to start from now on. I want to pass people. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Oh yeah. So yeah. And then we, we, I, from getting the UTV, we've done a couple of Parker 400 together and, and, uh, did a Baja 1000. So if I can get this thing to just stay together now, it seems to be staying together. Uh, we'll be, we'll be doing some more racing for sure. Well, he really enjoys racing with you and he really thinks oh, yeah. the world of you. Just, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if he conveys that to you, but every time he talks highly yeah. of you, and oh, yeah. really enjoys driving with you. Josh is probably the best rider I've ever met in my life. And I don't mean that just because he's my kid. I've been watching him forever and, and the kid just doesn't take chances. So he never crashes. So he either knows what he's doing or he slows down. There's no point in trying to do something that you, you don't know what it is. He definitely has a great, he analyzes it great and super quick, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. where most writers are thinking about it. He's already made a decision and, and, and corrected the error or decided to go a different way. And I was always one that was against riding motorcycles because it's two wheels. You don't have training wheels like you do on a quad. It's a totally different thing. And I was, I always gave him shit about riding motorcycles until I finally rode one with him and saw how good of a rider he is. I was, blown away at how good of a rider on the motorcycle he was. And that's when I told him, pitch the quad, go chase down, you know, 
I think he could <laughs> Colton be, Udall. Exactly. He could be a pro uh, he could desert be. racer on a um, oh, yeah. motorcycle, no problem. I agree. I He's agree. probably as fast yeah. as a lot seven of eighths of that field. Yeah. yeah. Right now. Yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just the, the, it's almost not fair what our what our dads what our dads meaning me and Josh have done to us. Yeah. My dad inflicted me with the love of the ATV industry from yeah. birth, you know, having his shop here at the house yeah. and, and and teaching us and you know, four years old getting a ride on a on a three wheeler and never looking back from there. Exactly. And you brought Josh up in that environment oh, yeah. and you never gave him a chance. Yeah. He was he was destined to do this yeah. from very, very young. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was definitely a hundred percent into it. Since he was, you know, he would sleep with his gear on at four years old, five years old, because he did not want to have to put it on when he woke up the next day. He just wanted to be able to get on fire his bike up and take off. So the whole desert trip, he'd be sleeping in his gear the whole time, so he could wake up the next day and just keep riding. And that's that kind of passion is what we need in the ATV industry. Yeah. We we have to have that to come back. Yeah. You know, and that's you know we got to put the cell phones down, put the video games yeah. down. Let's go out and really do this like we did because we didn't exactly. have we didn't have the video games we didn't no. have anything to, to do no. but that exactly you know but I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart how much I really appreciate you taking the time with ATV Talk no and coming and visiting with us yeah. um, I want to extend the invitation to have you come back yeah you know because I know there's more stories that you'd oh, like yeah. to tell <laughs> we, we we are on a limited time schedule yeah. uh, we do get going different directions time to time. But Greg, it's been a pleasure. And and as I was growing up and when I was coming up in the, in the ranks and I was racing my little races, and even though I would turn to the mechanic side of it, you were one of my idols that I got to because we are a couple of years difference. Um, so I am a fan and it was always a pleasure to race against you because you were the guy that I was trying to be. And just so that you know, I still have a photo of you behind me, just so you know. It's got to be Vegas Torino probably, right? No, it's Carlsbad. Oh, really? Yep. At team race, huh? Yes, at team race. That's funny. Yes, That's I funny. still have that photo oh, yeah. that, that uh, Carlos Savina took. Oh, yeah, I remember you know, that. And, and, I remember and, that. And, yep, I still have it. I couldn't go put my hands on it, but I still have it. That's rad. You know. Oh, yeah. Uh, because that was a highlight of my life, you know. <laughs> Uh, teaming with Brian and and we beat you and Steve Mamer, the two fastest uh -huh. guys in the district. District 38, yeah. You know, we beat you guys uh, yeah. only because Brian was better. Yeah. You know, not because of me. No, you held it off. You held me well, off. I only held you off. I think, didn't you pass me right as we were going into uh -huh. the pits? You know, so it didn't uh, give yeah. Steve an advantage. Uh-huh. Um, exactly. Uh, but I think the other laps, when Steve rode against me, he, pat he jumped over me on the downhill. I could just was like, yeah, go ahead, dude. Knock yourself out, yeah. buddy. Uh, he probably did. <laughs> unbelievable. You know, oh, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No problem, brother. Okay. Make sure you come back and see us, all right? I will. All right. You have a good night. You too. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center, with over 17 years experience, 
Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time. <laughs>